Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Barner, owner of Buyer's Meeting Point and the host of one of Supply Chain Now's newest programs, Dial P for Procurement. You can join me on the third Tuesday of each month for a video live stream that runs from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern as I bring together the leading minds in corporate spend management and do my best to blur the lines between procurement and supply chain. I'm guest hosting this edition of This Week in Business History, so thanks so much for listening. In this week's show, we'll be remembering a number of key stories, innovations, inventions, and firsts that took place between March 8th and the 12th. I have to say, I really lucked out with this week in the rotation because there are a lot of important business milestones that fall during these dates, starting with our main story. On March 9th, 1964, Ford Motor Company started production on the Ford Mustang. Now, I don't know how many of you are car people, but I was raised in a car family, a Mustang family to be more specific. The Ford Mustang was the brainchild of Lee Iacocca, who had the idea that if he could make a sporty, compact, affordable car and market it to younger drivers, he could create a new market. And I'd say he was right. The Mustang was introduced at the World's Fair a little over a month after starting production, and it was an instant hit. Ford was hoping to sell 100,000 cars that first year. So when Ford dealers sold 22,000 on the first day, there was no looking back. In fact, in March of 1966, just two years after its introduction, Ford made the one millionth Mustang. That first Mustang was unique in a few ways, not the least of which was its release timing. Because it was introduced late in the standard model year, the first Mustang was referred to as a 1964 and a half. All of the cars produced after August of 1964 were considered 1965s. Now I could opine about this amazing American muscle car for the rest of the episode, but you're here for business history. So let's consider the business challenges overcome by the Ford design and production teams. Although early two-seat concept versions of the Mustang had been introduced at the U.S. Grand Prix in Watkins Glen, New York, starting in 1962, Ford insisted that the production Mustang meet a very complex set of requirements. It needed to seat four adults comfortably, and to keep up with its race car image, it needed to have a floor-mounted shifter. It had to weigh no more than 2,500 pounds, be no more than 180 inches long, and have multiple power, comfort, and luxury options. The Mustang was designed in record time and on a shoestring budget. In fact, the Mustang design team saved money and time 
by repurposing chassis, suspension, and drivetrain components from the Ford Falcon and Fairlane. The idea was for this new car to compete with the Corvette and small European sports cars, but, and this is a big but, it needed to cost less than $2,500. When that 64 and a half went on sale for $2,300, equal to just shy of $20,000 today, Ford proudly described it as the working man's T-Bird. They may have overcome the design challenges with style, but Ford showed marketing savvy with the release of the Mustang as well. I've already mentioned that it debuted at the World's Fair, but did you know that Henry Ford II was the one that introduced it? I'd call that very early influencer marketing. The night before it went on sale, pictures appeared on the covers of Newsweek and Time magazines, and commercials ran simultaneously on all three major television networks. This all probably went a long way towards that 22,000 units in one day buying frenzy. In fact, According to an article on History.com, one buyer in Texas slept at a Ford showroom until his check cleared and he could drive his new Mustang home. Although the world has changed a lot since 1964, the Ford Mustang has been offered every single year. In 2018, Ford crossed the 10 million Mustang mark. The Pony Car is truly a design, engineering, marketing, and business development achievement. It has appeared in movies from James Bond's Goldfinger to Bullet, that's Bullet with two T's, featuring the immortal Steve McQueen, Gone in 60 Seconds, Too Fast, Too Furious, and, as I mentioned, In My Driveway Growing Up. Our next pair of stories have one thing in common. They are important early communications milestones. On March 9, 1876, Alexander Graham Bell made the first phone call from his office in Boston. And who did he call? He called his assistant, Thomas Watson. And reportedly, he said some variation of, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. Now, Mr. Watson was just sitting in the next room, so it was a small first step. But it was a huge accomplishment in electronic communications. For our next communication story, we move from telephone to radio. On March 12, 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt delivered the first fireside chat, although over the years, FDR would use these radio addresses to communicate directly to the American people about World War II, the Great Depression, and the New Deal. This first fireside chat was about the Emergency Banking Act, legislation passed to respond to the banking crisis. The chats were usually broadcast from the White House with members of the media present. I can only imagine the pressure to stay quiet while being in that room. Of course, at the time, they didn't have to worry about people's cell phones ringing, so that certainly helped. FDR delivered 30 fireside chats, and they are credited with helping to keep his approval ratings high throughout his presidency, despite all of the challenges the United States faced during that time. On March 9, 1776, Adam Smith published The Wealth of Nations, this book is still considered a fundamental text in economics, and it gave rise to the important concept of the invisible hand. Although over time, the invisible hand idea has been taken out of context on many occasions, it generally refers to the tendency of free market economies to naturally reach a kind of equilibrium, balancing demand, supply, price, and competition when self-interested producers, consumers, and investors get to do what they want based on the information they have. 
He also described division of labor, where people within an operation, companies in a supply chain, or countries within a trading block are able to specialize and barter with other like entities to the benefit of all parties. Back in 1776, Adam Smith had two copies of the first run of the book in his personal library. One was lost to history, and the other sold for 900,000 pounds, about 1.2 million US dollars at an auction in 2018. Talk about the power of the invisible hand at work. We've been all business, no pun intended, so far in this episode of This Week in Business History. And so, fortunately, there are some quirky, fun milestones we can mark this week as well. Starting with March 9th, 1822. Charles M. Graham received the first patent for artificial teeth. Unlike earlier dentures, which were made of human or animal teeth, gross, Graham's model was made from porcelain, making them harder and more durable. He was a well-known doctor, investor, and financial broker, so who knows how he happened to have the inspiration or free time to invent a better set of dentures. But I know plenty of people who are glad he did. On March 12, 1894, Coke was first made available in glass bottles in a candy store in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Prior to this, Coke had only been available as a fountain drink, mixed and served in a glass at soda counters. You might think this was another example of Coke being an innovative company, but it was actually the owner of the candy store, Joseph A. Bidenharn, that came up with the idea to boost his own revenues. The Coke company was really not sold on the idea of bottles. It wasn't until 1899 that they sold the national bottling rights to two brothers from Chattanooga, Tennessee. They had so little faith in the idea that they priced the rights at a dollar. Now, I would be glad to adjust the value of that dollar for inflation, just like I did with the price of the first Ford Mustang, except for one thing. Coke never bothered to collect the dollar. So, by my math, zero dollars in 1899 is about zero dollars in 2021. The bottling contract specified that the bottled Coke would sell for a nickel apiece, and there was no end date in the contract. That caused the price to be the same until 1959. Talk about a pair of epic contracting fails. Looking at a more modern milestone, we recognize March 10, 2000 as the top of the US dot-com bubble. If you remember the dot-com bubble, you probably think about companies IPOing for millions without showing they had any ability to generate profits. The dot-com bubble gave us unique employee perks like foosball tables, branded Humvees, and lavish parties and vacations. But every bubble must burst and the dot-com bubble was no exception. Between March 10, 2000 and October 4, 2002, the NASDAQ lost over three quarters of its value. It would take 15 years for NASDAQ to regain its peak. And by then, companies like Pets.com, Boo.com, Worldcom, and North Point Communications had long since shut down and disappeared. Even Cisco, who did manage to survive the burst, saw their stock value decline by 86%. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. Big thanks to you for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. 
As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. On that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History.